Yeah, we're going to make those little kids suffer today. <laughs> oh, there they go. Now, wait, before you guys leave, I have something I wanted to do with you guys before you, you took off for camp here. Um, those of you who are here, of course, camp's a wonderful time for everybody uh, to, you know, to be a part of. And uh, I've often said I want to be a praying church. And, uh, you know, we have uh, five girls going and Julie's going. And I would, I want people praying for them specifically. Um, so I need uh, somebody to pray for Grace this week. Where's Grace? Wave. You don't know who Grace is. All right. Who's it going to be? I need somebody to, okay, there you go. So this week, she's going to be praying for you, Grace. It's Savannah. Somebody for Savannah. Little sister, all right. Yeah, Charlie and Anita, okay, good. Uh, for Jesse. There you go, Larry, good. Uh, Tori Pence will be going. You two for Tori, very good. Kayla's going. Anybody want to pray for Kayla besides me? You two, that'd be fantastic. And then also Julie. So the rest of us, uh, let's pray for Julie, um, that she would be effective in her work too. So girls, this week when things get a little crazy and, uh, and all the fun you're going to have, just remember we're here, we're praying for you, that you would have fun, but also this would be a, you know, a, a moment for you to really draw closer to God. So thank you, those of you who have committed then to praying for them, so... All right, girls, you can go to camp now. I'll let you go have fun. I got to tell you, church camp was uh, it's something I never experienced. I never went to church camp. I, uh, we never, I don't think I ever went to camp, <laughs> except when I was little with you know, parents and stuff. We go camping, but that's not the same. But the only thing I ever had was maybe vacation Bible school or something, you know, throughout the week, but going to camp and stuff. But I remember one time Neola, she used to go to camp, and I rode all the way, oh, before we were married, I rode, rode all the way to Indiana with Marvin to, to pick her up from camp. And uh, I, back then, you guys went to, it, it wasn't Manchester, Grace something, uh, I don't remember where it was, but it, it, Huntington College, and yeah, sometimes you went to Camp Mac, and you know, how many of you went to church camp when you were little, and still remember, man, a lot of you, you know, some of the fun that you had there, all the things. I do remember one time going to church camp for, for little kids and helping out. I was a counselor, and. Uh, Doggone it, I don't remember his name. His first name was Billy, but I can't remember his last name. Billy Gallagher. Yeah, Cheerio, that's right. We went to, uh, it was down southern Ohio somewhere, down south of Peebles. And Billy was just this tiny little guy, if you knew Billy Gallagher. And so it's my first night as a counselor, and we're in the room there, and the kids are just wound up, man. They're, they're probably 12, 15 you know, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 9-year-olds in there, and they're just going crazy. And I'm up there, guys, you guys need to be quiet. Let's cool it. Uh, this isn't working. And finally, Billy Gallagher got up out of bed, 
And he walked in the middle of the room, and man, he blasted those little kids. He let them have it. You're going to be quiet in this room. And I remember laying there in, in my bunk. I was afraid to move. I was like, I don't want to make a sound. I don't want Billy to get me, so... But, oh, what fun, though, that was. So, you know, for, for these kids, you know, camp can be a life-changing experience. In the case of, <laughs> of my daughter, uh, um, she's now well into a good one, two-year relationship with a, a young man that she met at camp. And, uh, you know, things just keep progressing from there. Uh, just unbelievable. And... Uh, so I'm thankful for camp. I mean that, you know, you know that's how we keep Church of God going. I think through camp, we we send them down there and hook them up, and then they you know keep the church going. I, you know, so. you're laughing. Did you go to camp? You too? Well, after you were dating. After you were dating. Okay. Well, some of you are laughing out there. You know, Corinne, you go to camp? Yeah. Here we go. They're both laughing here. Well. You know, it's a good thing we have church camp and stuff for kids and give them positive things to do. Uh, this week in the news, of course, uh, you know, every week there's always something that you can look at and go, what? You know, God, why, what? This week it was in uh, Branson, Missouri. I don't know if any of you paid attention, but there was uh, uh, what these, this machine they call a duck boat. They originally built in World War II. It's an amphibious thing. You could drive it around on the land, and then they just drive right on down into the, you know, out onto the lake, and they go around. And many of you have probably been to Branson, and maybe have even seen these things, or maybe even have taken a ride on one of these things. They got them in Cincinnati too. Ooh. Well, unfortunately, uh, a storm came up and swamped the boat, and the thing sank. And 17 people were killed. Nine out of 11 of them were from the same family. How terrible. And it, the entire family, the extended family, all of them. And God love her, they pulled this one lady out and she was on TV. And this is a quote from her. She said, my heart is very heavy. Out of 11 of us, only two of us surviving. I lost all my children. I lost my husband, I lost my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, I lost my uncle, I lost my sister-in-law, and I lost my nephew. I'm okay, but this is really hard. This is, this is really hard. And there's, there's not much that can be done. The only thing that I would like to be done that can't be is to bring my family back. You know, keep, praying, keep praying for me, because... We've lost so much. And she would go on and talk about how she survived by God and, and good Samaritans who were there to help her. And as I've mentioned many times, as mysterious as it is, God allows bad things to happen to good people. And again and again, we're asked to, to stand firm, trust and obey. God's got our best in, in, intentions there. Uh, he's looking out for us. God is in control. God is sovereign. You know, look for God's grace to help us through situations like that. Now, that event was just one more piled on top of a, a group of things that have been bothering me the last few weeks. And uh, I've been going through a pretty rough patch of, I don't know how you put sadness lately, just kind of, meh, kind of just down. 
And the Bible calls it, I think, a spirit of heaviness. And I was, I was privileged to, to serve a family this week at a funeral. And I had recently done another funeral before that. And I had visited some people in, in, um, in the hospital. And you start to help people and, and you sort of experience their, their suffering. You know, it, it kind of gets to you after a while. You know, people allow you to be a part of their family or to, you get a little window into the, you know, the, the most vulnerable parts of their life and you have a, a chance to be there and to, and to worship with them, to mourn with them, to help them. Uh, you know, I got to meet some, some neat people, uh, but it was in the midst of some pain. And, and frankly, I miss my son and my daughter who are out visiting other people. They're around the country. They've been gone the last couple of weeks. So, you know, you mix that in with the ongoing meltdown of society and, you know, you know online, I used to love to get on there and Sometimes I'd troll people. Now, if you don't know what trolling is, well, don't worry about it. I mean, get on there and, you know, basically pick fights on the Internet with people, usually over political things. Well, I gave that up. Decided I'm going to knock that off. I'm a public figure now. You, know, you can't be doing that stuff, you know. And so every night I post pictures that are like nonsense, like a I can't talk politics anymore, so here's a picture of a rabbit with a pancake on his head or something like that, you know. People are like, the, the, the guy's lost his mind. But, it, you know, that's just, just funny kind of stuff. But, you know, yesterday it really hit me. It was just sort of barely able to get up and get moving. I think you factor in the weather and the, the rain and all that. It was just a, just a down time and... It seems like sometimes all we're left with as believers is thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, which many people today make very clear they do not want and they do not appreciate. I don't want your thoughts and your prayers. I want these people back, or I want this to happen. I don't understand what this is. You keep your thoughts and your prayers because they don't do us any good. And that bums, bums me out. It bothers me. One of my former students, a kid I really like, really got pretty close to helping him through football, through school, and some of his career choices now. He was a very good young man, but he's, a, he's an avowed atheist. And he loves to post memes making fun of and questioning different people, especially Pentecostal faith healers. Now, I, I kind of make fun of those guys too sometimes, but no, no offense if you're into to that. But basically, you know... He was asking, why do these so-called healers spend all of their time in church meetings? Yet they ought to all go over to the hospital and, and heal people over there. You, know, well, you can only work in a you know, big tent or something like that. You ought to go down, up to Mercy there and maybe go lay out some hands on some people. And I think about that. Now, how am I going to communicate you know, the gospel to this kid and try to you know, look, look through these things? And I got to thinking about that, and I wondered about... You know, the validity of such things. Can supposed men of God perform miracles? Can they perform these acts of healing? It's funny, when you're, when you're kind of down in the dumps, that's when you start thinking about all the deep thoughts of the world and the universe, and, man, I wonder if this is really true, and then you get down into that. But if you flip on the TV and you watch uh, 
and I don't normally watch these too very often, but there are a lot of Bible cable TV shows. And it seems as if there are hundreds of healings a week going on. Um, you'll see them you know, in the audience. They're doing everything. So all this stuff's happening. Supposedly there are people being healed all over the place. You know, God is doing some amazing things. I just, man, I wish I could see that once. Seems like as a, as a pastor, as a lay pastor, <laughs> I'm not even ordained. I'm like, like Bob Petrie said, you just fake it till you make it and just do the best you can, all right? Um, you get up there and, and you know, all you see is people hurting. And I'll admit, there are times I, I ask God, God, why can't you do something? Just throw me a bone here. Something miraculous. Something really cool that would just make, lift people up and, and get our attention. I read a few books years ago by a man named John Wimber. Now, that probably doesn't mean anything to you guys, but John Wimber in the 1990s was really big in the, uh, the charismatic movement that sort of took over in the, in the mid-90s. And the charismatic movement was one that really talks about the idea that God had sent his Holy Spirit onto the church and it, God's Holy Spirit uh, began to manifest itself in the churches through miraculous phenomena that, that he referred to as signs and wonders. There was supposedly this sudden outbreak of healings and outbreak of you know, people, hundreds of thousands of people you know, rushing to God and, and, and wanting to be saved. And Wimber was a founding member of what's called the Vineyard Church. Uh, which is a movement that began here in the United States. It's now a global denomination. There are probably hundreds of thousands, if not more than a million people, who are part of that, of that faith, of that group. And the thing that I found interesting about Wimber is that he believes that the same miracles and actions taken by the apostles are available to us today. In other words, God, through his Holy Spirit, was allowing these signs to manifest within the church. So things like healing, things like uh, he referred to as speaking in tongues, even resurrecting people from the dead. He was going around saying, well, there are people being raised from the dead. And I got to, you know, I just scratched my head at that. I'm thinking, you know, I always come back to the practical things. Somebody got raised from the dead? Well, that was, wouldn't the county health department want to know about that? Wouldn't your retirement want to know about that? Social Security, how does that work? You, you know, I was dead, but now you know, i got to get signed up again for my benefits. Or, you know, how does all that work? But I don't know. I don't want to judge those, those believers. There are a lot of people who, who bind it in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit that they often refer to in their service. Uncontrollable crying uncontrollable laughing, speaking in tongues. We went to a, a service once in Nashville. Several of us went. Carla was with us. Cheryl went, Neil and I, and it might have been a few others. And we went to a service that, I mean, it was a, 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 a collection of people from all over the country, from all different kinds of faiths. You had Methodists, 
Presbyterians, the frozen chosen, you know, so I mean, then you had, you know, like, people were running up and down the aisles and stuff. It was really a weird collection of, of people. But I saw some things in worship that I hadn't seen since I was a little kid. You know, back home, churches down in the hills. I mean, people running around speaking in tongues. And I'm looking at Neola, and she's looking at me. I'm like, what are these people saying? You know, I don't, I don't know. But to them, it was the Holy Spirit was alive, was working through them. They seemed to be benefiting from it. I don't know. I know there have been many times I wish I could have some sort of experience like that. But God's never spoken to me directly. I've never suddenly broke out in tongues. I've never healed anybody. I broke out in laughter once, but in church, but that's because somebody was falling asleep and I was making fun of them. They were sitting there like this, you know. I don't think that was the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I don't want to judge these people, but I do want to be careful to discern the truth of what I saw and what I experienced. Because I won't lie, when I get down, I, you know, I, I really wish I could get some kind of miracle. That I could see God do something out of the, the ordinary and that that would somehow make things just be like lighting a fire under me again. One of my favorite praise albums includes a song about miracles. I love to sing it, but it got me wondering, does God perform miracles today? Seems to me in a screwed up world like we have, a good miracle would really encourage people like me and you. It would really affirm my, reaffirm my belief in God. So like any modern intellectual man, I, I jumped on Google and ran a, ran a search there. Oh, I want to see... Uh, uh, the most famous miracles in history. And so, boom, up came a list. And, of course, there's Our Lady of Akita. That's uh, in Japan. There's a the statue of the Virgin Mary that weeps. Okay, people would see it, and they just mysteriously would just suddenly start crying. There's the Virgin Mary again in Cairo. Apparently, she appears over a Coptic church. If you're lucky, you'll see her floating in the air above the church. Somebody even took a picture of it, and I saw it on, uh, on the internet. She's up there floating. Looks just like right out of, you know, a Catholic Bible or something. I, I don't know. There were the six children of Medjugorje. You may have heard of those kids. That's in Bosnia, of all places. They saw visions and prophecies again from the Virgin Mary. Uh, Padre Pio, the stigmata, maybe you've heard of that. You know, suddenly the, the, the nails would appear in the hands and he would bleed all the time and there was no explanation for it. And it got me wondering, you know, apparently Protestants can't have miracles. It's only in the Catholic Church, you know. I, no, Protestants, what we get is stuff like the face of Christ on a burrito or a piece of toast. You know, we get that kind of thing, so I don't know. I like, I like the Catholic miracles, and that's pretty cool. Amen. <laughs> but from a personal standpoint, you know, I've heard some, some curious happenings growing up, you know, in my own family. I've told you plenty of stories about, 
you know, some of my relatives, some of them claim they, they saw an angel. Uh, one of my relatives was praying for somebody, and she swears that a, a pair of hands just sort of appeared in the air and just floated in the air over the telephone. I'm like, what? You know, I can't believe this. You know, I want to believe. It's like I'm like Fox Mulder when it comes to these things. I want to believe. We actually have a couple of family photographs that show strange apparitions floating in the picture. I mean, you'll see like the family standing here posing, and then up, up here in the corner there's like a ghost thing. It always looks like Jesus. Like, how did they work that in there? You know, they swear, oh, it's a you know miracle. They, that's like a relic. And I'm like, it's a double exposure. And you guys are getting full. Oh, well, okay, whatever. Um, I know a uh, a pastor friend of mine, not part of the Church of God, but he is a, a longtime pastor. Uh, actually, was saved out of the mob. Was actually a you know part of the mafia. He was an enforcer. So this guy used to beat people up, but he was saved out of that, and then later you know uh, went to uh, eventually went to school, went to seminary. He is now an instructor down at United Theological Seminary here in Dayton, and he swears that he sat through a couple of exorcisms. He saw a chair float in the air. I saw it, John, with my own eyes, floating in the air. I'm like, why don't I ever see things like that? And he said, well, you don't want to see things like that. Don't even, you just stop this interest in the exorcisms and stuff. You just bypass that. That's all. You don't even want to mess with that stuff. I'm like, okay. But of course, the Bible's filled with examples of miracles. People get to see some wondrous things. I've often been in, uh, when I was you know, in other places, you know, pastors would ask people, how many of you need a miracle today? Well, everybody would love a miracle, would love to see that. It's apparent that while a miracle might change the life of an individual, you might even get witnesses back on track According to the Bible, that didn't last very long. And for most people, the witnessing of these miracles, it didn't make any difference in their life. Simply seeing a miracle did not lead to lasting changes in any kind of behavior. Maybe briefly, but in the long term it didn't make any difference. So why do miracles at all? Well, miracles in Scripture are acts of God that Proclaim his sovereign power. It also is his commitment to the good of, of his people. Miracles are significant. They, they serve a large purpose in God's, God's plan. It helps bring authenticity to his messengers. That's one of the primary functions of miracles in the Bible. When they occur, they give evidence that God is truly at work. And so they served to advance the gospel. There was always a reason, always a purpose for these miracles. In the Old Testament, Moses did miracles to demonstrate his authority as God's spokesman. Go back and read in Exodus. 
He was worried about, you know, what if I go before Pharaoh? He won't believe me. And God says, here's what you're going to do. Take the staff and you do these things. Basically perform these little miracles and then eventually the plagues. And he'll get the picture. You, you were sent from me. That's why I'm doing these miracles. Not so people could go, wow! But so that they would know that you are my spokesman. Nicodemus, in, in the New Testament, he recognized that God was with Jesus because of the miracles that he did. Luke records approximately 20 of Jesus' miracles, and, and a lot of them are unique only to the book of Luke, and all of them were healings. Jesus' miracles authenticate his authoritative role in the divine plan that brings salvation. In other words, Jesus didn't do miracles just to, to do it. It was to demonstrate who he was, where he gained his authority which was from God. He heals the sick, casts out evil spirits, cures a variety of specific conditions. He, he, he healed a, a flow of blood, a withered hand, blindness, deafness, paralysis, epilepsy, leprosy, fever. He, he rose Lazarus uh, up from the dead. He had power over nature. All of these things are they're miracles. John often called them signs. What is a sign? You know, Jesus suggested his miraculous works verified that at that time the kingdom of God had come. Now, not the kingdom of God that we look forward to, but God's plan in action. There are certain times throughout history God suddenly intervenes and gets busy. When Christ came and was created and part of the earth and grew up, and became the savior of the world. God was actively working. That was a, a moment in history where God was, had intervened within our time and space. And miracles were happening. Miracles were a way of telling everybody, Hey look, God is doing something here. The Bible went on, Jesus said, but if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because of Jesus' miraculous works, those who saw him knew that the God of Israel was once again acting in their midst. And it seems to be a characteristic of the New Testament church when miracles occur. It's interesting, miracles throughout most of history, don't happen. Most people who've ever lived have never seen a miracle because miracles are extremely, extremely rare. I'm sorry. If you watch uh, Reverend so-and-so, the church of what's happening on channel whatever, and oh, we healed hundreds last week at the thing. I don't want to say that that's not true. Maybe somebody was healed. But I do know that miracles, when they happen, according to the Bible, are very, very rare, and they occur for a specific purpose, usually to authenticate the message that somebody's trying to bring. It's a way of saying, God is he's here. He is now doing something. So how should we think about miracles today? You know, as a, as a Christian, I'd love a, a good miracle. 
Boy, I'd love a miracle last week. Many of you would like a miracle in your life. We all have things going on we love to be delivered from, things that we're dealing with that we like to, you know, put an end to and be done with it. I don't believe that miracles have totally ceased today. I don't want to go that far. I don't want to box God in and say, look, miracles do not happen anymore. Uh, one of the big theories is that, you know, with the apostles in the early church, miracles were needed to keep the church going and to get it moving. But after the apostles died off, there really wasn't a need for miracles and, and signs anymore. Because now the earth had the greatest miracle of all, the redemptive work of Christ and his church. His church was now in the world. And when the church moves, when the church does what it's supposed to do, the world should be able to say, look at God, move. We don't need miracles. We need the church. We need to be involved with the church. Unfortunately, my attitudes towards miracles has been, has been out of whack. I want a miracle just to make me happy, to get me enthused, to make me go, wow! To, to somehow validate that tiny little part of my brain that often doubts that all of this is true. If God, you would just show up. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings. Of all places, 2 Kings, we're going to talk about miracles. 2 Kings, and I sometimes forget that some of us are new in the faith, or we've been in church for a long time, but we're finally getting serious about our Bibles. 2 Kings is towards the oh, the first third of the, the Old Testament, maybe towards the beginning of the, the second third there. Anyway, 2 Kings... And good thing I marked it. Uh, chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. There's a miracle. I, I didn't write the verse down, but I opened it up, and there it was right there. How about that? <laughs> now, now, is that a miracle? We just had two miracles today. I don't know. Happy coincidence? I don't know. 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me start. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram. That's Syria. Okay, so this isn't a, a Hebrew. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram, or the Syrian army there. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper, which in that society, that was bad news. You got shunned, you got... Anyways, now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he'd cure him of his leprosy. In other words, you know, you, ma'am, your, your, your man here, is a, he's a good man. You got to go to Israel where I'm from and there's a guy there who could take care of that. Great prophet. Verse 4, Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who's from the land of Israel. 
And the king of Aram said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and ten thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. He brought the, the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Ah, am I God to kill and make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure me? In other words, oh, great. One of my chief rivals just sent his captain of the guard to me, expecting me to heal him. I can't heal him. I'm not God. This isn't going to work out well. Oh, I see a war coming. This can't be good. Verse 8, it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger, messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. That sounds fantastic. So here we have the captain of the guard of the, the Syrian army going to see the king of Judah, expecting a miracle. The king says, I can't help you. Look, I'm not God. Uh, um, then Elisha butts in. He's like, well, here, let me, let me help out here. And I mean, why not? Why wouldn't Naaman expect a great miracle? He had personal greatness. He was a military hero. He was somebody of renown. He's worthy of a miracle. He had a huge gift for the king of Judah. Here's a bunch of money. Here's all this stuff. And here's a, a personal letter from the king himself. Give me my miracle. He demanded it. So Elisha says, hey, you want... He'll go down, dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. Verse 11, but Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. I come all the way out here, and this guy tells me to go jump in the river. I want my miracle. Verse 13, then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? In other words, look, look, all he's asking you to do is go get in the water. Follow his directions. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. It's interesting, only when he chose to follow the instructions of Elisha did the miracle happen. In other words, the miracle only occurred according to God's purpose, not because of something demanded by a man. Naaman demanding, I want my miracle. No, no, it doesn't work like that. You, gotta, you want a miracle, you've got to do it God's way. And God's saying, go down to the river, dip yourself seven times, 
In fact, once Naaman obeyed and received the miracle that God intended, his, then his skin was changed. But it's interesting. He received something even more valuable than, than the skin, the new skin that he got. If you continue on with this, uh, verse 15, when he returned to the man of God with his company, behold now, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So take a present from your servant now. He wanted to give Elisha something nice. Thank you. Elisha's like, no, 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 no. We don't, I don't want anything. So he said, go in peace, and, and he takes off. And Naaman had received something even more valuable than clear skin, which was a big deal in that society. He received the belief that God was the only true God. That's the miracle, not the skin. You have a man who suddenly realized there's only one God. It's the God of Israel, and I need to get myself right with him. And he took that belief back home with him, back to Syria. Now, it's interesting, uh, we don't have time, but if you read through the rest of this, there was another man by the name of Gehazi who was a servant of Elisha. And he ran out, ran after Naaman and said, you know what, uh, this guy seemed pretty uh, appreciative. Maybe he'll give us some money. So he ran up to him and said, hey, you know, how about a little a present, you know, a little something for the effort here. And Naaman's like, yeah, I, I tried to give money to Elijah. He wouldn't take, here, take this. And then he went on home praising God. Gehazi went back. Naaman confronts him. Basically, Naaman, or Elijah said, why did you rip that man off? You can't rip people off in the name of God. Anybody know what happened to Gehazi without reading it? It's like class. Anybody but Ross know the, the answer to this? Uh, you know? <laughs> Basically, Gehazi, uh, he got leprosy. Verse 27, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Don't be trying to mess around with, with God's miracles. If we expect God to do one miracle, we should expect him to do the other. If we want God to do the miracle, we have to obey God. And when God punishes us for a lack of obedience, well, we have to accept that as well. So today in the United States, here at North Hills Church of God, is God up to something now? Is God interested in us? Is he, is he working? Is God getting our attention? And I am convinced that God is at work in this church. But we don't need miracles. Because God has given us the great miracle of his church. That a group of people would come together. In love and do the things that the, the, the church does is, is, is a miracle. In John chapter 14, I want to read this. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus has been talking to his uh, 
disciples. They've just had the Lord's Supper, and and uh, you know, he's at the point now where dinner's over, but he wants to comfort his disciples because you know the, the evening's about to wrap up, and God is about to get busy again. Jesus would be arrested, and then off to 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 the crucifixion. John chapter fourteen. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So because Jesus is going to the Father, you guys are going to do things, you're going to experience things and see things a lot greater than anything that I ever did. That would would have me sitting there scratching my head thinking, holy cow, what in the... What is he talking about? It isn't clear what Jesus means often when he says, you know, those coming after me are going to do greater works. Now, greater works, these greater works, they can't simply mean more works. Healing this guy, helping that guy, making, taking bread and feeding 5,000. I mean, it's something greater than that. As the Bible says, more than that. These greater works aren't necessarily more spectacular or more supernatural. It's hard to imagine anything greater or more supernatural than rising or raising up Lazarus from the dead. I don't how can you outdo that? These greater works that were done by those coming after Jesus point primarily, I believe, to a new order established by Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven. That is the founding of the church. The signs and wonders Jesus performed during his ministry could not fully accomplish their true end until Christ had risen from the dead and been exalted. While these works certainly include the signs and wonders done by the early church in the Spirit's power, they weren't limited to those deeds. In fact, the Bible talks about a great mystery of Gentiles being included into one new people of God. God's miraculous works in the church include the forgiveness of sins, the inclusion of those who were formerly far off into God's new one people, the people of God. Healing, signs, and wonders, they're extraordinary, but they're they're no more extraordinary than the redemption accomplished by Christ. That's the miracle. That Jesus would take someone like you or I, a sinner, who deserves death. That his death on the cross would buy your pardon so that you could have eternal life. That is the miracle. We don't need Jesus to turn water into wine. What we need is the church today. That's what the church is. That's what I believe. We don't need magic show. I've given you the church. If we as a church would move to meet the needs of people, to pray for them, to be with them when they hurt, you can be the miracle that they need.
I told you the last few weeks were a bummer, but I have to tell you, I did receive a miracle last week. After the funeral of Jerry Adams, which was on Wednesday, I think, I was privileged to see the miracle of a group of people from this church give up their time, their money, their food, to serve a group of people, a group of people they did not know, a group of people who probably will never come back to this church ever again. But in a world of selfishness, of strife, of hatred, I saw a group of people choose to serve strangers out of love. Love for their God and love for these people. So when I sing of miracles or I listen to my favorite songs and God, I need a miracle and a miracle, I don't think about parting the waters anymore. I don't think about healing the sick. I think of people helping others in the name of Jesus. I cannot tell you how touched I am to see that. For people to, to help others in a world where that's almost unknown. That's a miracle. That's a real miracle. It's a real joy. It's a joy that brings me happiness. It brings me fulfillment. That's the kind of miracle that lasts a lifetime. That's the kind of miracle that, that brings lasting change, that, that helps me to you know, refocus myself and get myself energized. And, you know, poor old John, wah, wah, guess what? You're part of a church, a church that loves, that cares, that works for other people, that goes out of their way to do things. That's a miracle to me. God is actively working in this church, performing miracles all the time, but he's doing it through you. God says, you don't need a magic show. All you need is, is this group of people to go do this, and that guy to go see that guy, and this girl to sing that song, and this person to do this, and you'll see me moving. You'll see me at work. You'll get your miracle. I could go on and on about you know, miracles and wanting to see this and wanting to see that. I'm so very proud of this church and so very proud of many of you who helped out this week and had the opportunity to serve and to do that. That's what the body of Christ does to, for the world. I wish people could see more of that. I wish we could give them our thoughts and our prayers, but also be able to give them a, a plate full of uh, chicken salad and, and pasta and, and Sylvia's noodles and, and whatever else. Giving them that in the name of Jesus, that's a miracle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for this church, which has been a real miracle to me and to many other people in this community. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember we have, we're not just playing church here. We are your body, and you are moving in our community through this church body. Help us to take that responsibility seriously, but also to rejoice in that. Father, we love you today, and I love everybody here. In the name of Jesus, amen.